This morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Crystal. Crystal is the wife of John Sherrill, who is our senior pastor, and he is preaching at the Woodland Drive-In Church this morning. And so I am Brian Telzero, and I am the pastor of Congregational Life here at Fifth, and very excited to be here this morning for a number of reasons. It is Mother's Day, uh, so congratulations, moms. We celebrate you. Uh, but I also have my family, a, a significant part of my family here with us this morning. Uh, my brother Bill uh, and his wife Tina, they live in Atlanta, and their son Will and his wife Bryn and their son Matt is with us. Uh, and then my uh, brother Steve, who is a pastor in Slovenia. 
has been there 29 years, and his wife Barbara and their sons Tim and Jacob are here with us this morning. So uh, please, if you get a chance, say hello to them. Uh, Very excited to have them here. Uh, We are celebrating my mom, who is turning uh, 85 later this month. Uh, And so there's a number of good things going on. Uh, Tim just graduated from Southeastern College, uh, and we have a couple of weddings happening in our family this month. My daughter is getting married on the 28th, and Steve's daughter, uh, Sarah, who is not with us this morning, she's getting married on the 29th, which happens to be my mother's 85th birthday. So uh, this is a very exciting uh, month, and and day for us to be here together. And so I'm grateful for having uh, this time, especially to have my family here with us. Um, I've been thinking a lot about friendships uh, this, this season in my life, kind of reflecting on uh, just the quality of what a good friend looks like. Uh, and uh, last time that I had the chance to speak, I talked about a friend of mine who had lost over 100 pounds. Uh, and I had walked by him and didn't recognize him. Somebody told me that was going to be the case, and I didn't believe him. And I walked right by him, didn't know who he was. Now, another friend in that same circle, his name is Todd. Uh, Todd is my longest known friend. Uh, We have known each other since we were 11 years old. Uh, And uh, Todd's dad was the one who uh, taught me uh, how to play basketball. Uh, And when we were young, that's the sixth grade is kind of when we started doing that. Uh, Our fathers, my dad and his dad, actually played on the same high school basketball team uh, as Todd and I did. Um, But uh, Todd got a little better than I did in terms of that journey. But uh, uh, And partly I know my dad was only five foot eight, uh, so my basketball prowess was limited. I knew that. Um, But... um, they was very good, very, very intentional about uh, just teaching us and being able to share and do life together. And Todd is the kind of guy that no matter lo- how long I've seen him, uh, how long since it's been, I mean, we've known each other for 50 years, uh, and, but when we see each other, we pick up just like we saw each other yesterday. Uh, there's a certain level of peace and comfort uh, to that relationship that I have with Todd. Now, we sometimes play this game in conversations with each other. If you could have dinner with just one person in history, who would it be? Uh, And we think of various famous people, either in entertainment or in history or in sports, uh, whatever that might be. We think about how cool it would be if that person showed up at our house and they called us friend. Wow. Well, imagine if the God of the universe, the one who created all the heavens and the earth, the one who created each one of us, came to our house and called us friend. What would that mean to us? How would that feel? How would that change the way that we live our lives? Well, reality is, that is precisely what God wants to do with each one of us. He wants to call us friend. Our passage today is all about relationships. Uh, And this is a particular passion of mine uh, in terms of gaining and, and being in relationship with each other. So we celebrate today how God created each one of us and used our moms to do so. And even in Jesus' life, uh, he was uh, uh, Mary, uh, the Virgin Mary was used to be able to bring Jesus into this world and she stayed and he stayed in relationship all the way to the cross. Now John records Jesus' words as he starts out this chapter talking about the relationship of one thing to another. And he uses the motif of a vine and branches uh, to illustrate a spiritual truth. He says this union with these men as, is as alive as the relationship that exists between a vine and a branch. 
Roger Fredrickson, in his commentary on John, says, in the Old Testament writings, Israel had frequently been spoken of as a vine, which Yahweh loved and he tended. But over and over again, waywardness and corruption had made God's people barren. Now it is Jesus who is the real vine, the chosen one of God. And the primary purpose of a vineyard is to produce fruit. And when there are branches that don't produce fruit, who are lifeless, they are pruned and done away with and burned, he says. So self-interest, unconfessed sin, a careless disregard for the truth, or bitter, unforgiving spirit can block the flow of life to the vine. So Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He starts out by recognizing the relationship the father has to the son. The father as the gardener, the son as the vine. That needs to be pruned even, intended to, to be able to produce fruit. And it seems that fruit production is the main focus of this passage. And what the gardener's purpose is. Anything that hinders healthy fruit production should be pruned away. And that means even some good things that are going on. Things that create busyness or distraction maybe not be sinful, but they are things that take us away from our main objectives, of which is fruit producing. The son then says that we as the branches must remain with the vine. As the son in relationship to father, we as in relationship to son. Therefore, again, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, as the Son relates to the branches and to the vine, that we as his branches must remain with the vine if we are to produce fruit. We are then to remain in him as the true vine. Bearing fruit is how we reveal ourselves as his disciples. Now it seems in this section of the gospel, in this chapter in John, pruning and remaining are key parts of what we're supposed to grasp in this section. Now I did a little bit of work in terms of the types of pruning that exist. And most agronomists agree that there are about four main types of pruning. There's first of all thinning, where we kind of go inside the bush and kind of thin it out so it keeps for healthy growth. There's such a thing as topping the, the uh, growth of a bush or a tree or whatnot to keep it from growing too high. There's something called thinning, or excuse me, uh, the, the third one is raising, where you trim the lower branches down here so it makes the growth go up uh, in terms of that generalization. 
And then there's something called reduction, which is really happening around our neighborhood. If you have been around the neighborhood in the last week, there have been tree um, trucks all around the neighborhood trimming out branches around the electrical wires that are there that can create some havoc, so to speak. So that pruning is something that is necessary for longevity and good health in our lives. Jesus is clear that even he underwent pruning, meaning good things that need to be taken away at times. Fredrickson in his commentary talked a lot about sin being pruned away, but Jesus mentions again some of those good things that maybe need to be cut away. What I found interesting about this passage is how many times the word remain exists within this uh, few verses. 11 times we hear the word remain, or in other translations use the word abide, that you abide or remain with the vine. Uh, That seems significant to me. There's something significant about how we are to stay connected. Now, Eugene Peterson, in his message that he writes, he uses words joined or at home in place of the words remain and abide. Now, I like the picture that Peterson paints here uh, with these words of Jesus. Check this out, how he translates or identifies or paraphrases. There's some, some uh, conversation going on in theological uh, ranks about whether this is a translation or a paraphrase. Uh, but nevertheless, Peterson's intent was to write something that was in our own language. And here's how what he says. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can bear grapes by, it can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the relation is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce anything. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples joined and at home might be better suited for our understanding of how to you what abide and remain might look like. Now I'm speaking uh, 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 specifically thinking about this idea of words being at home. Uh, You know there are things sometimes we hear stuff and go oh that doesn't resonate with me. But then there's other times we think oh yeah that sits well. Those words are at home in me. I get that. I can grasp that. Um, So when we think about being at peace with something, when things are at home, there's a sense of just relaxedness of saying, ah, I get that. Well, how many of us have been in someone else's house and they say to us, make yourself at home? And we think, maybe unlike Cousin Eddie in vacations, Christmas vacation, something a little bit more respectful of one another, but it's more comforting. It's more relaxed. I'm I'm able to be at ease in that. I get what you're saying. We are connected. We are in relationship with each other because we're making ourselves at home with one another. 
Again, Jesus says in the same passage uh, as uh, Peterson identifies, but if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. I mean, how many of us don't long to be listened to? It took me a while in my relationship, in my marriage, to really fully grasp that. So when Jesus says we are joined with him, when his words are at home in us, he will listen to us. There's a relationship in this description. His intent is to identify that we are beings in connection with each other, just like a branch is to the vine, so are we to one another, and we to the Father, just as Jesus is to the Father. And he goes on the rest of this passage to, again, describe what that relationship might look like. Listen to how, uh, again, Peterson states this in the message. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourself at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my father's command and made myself at home in his love. Now, if, if I tell Becky, my wife, that I love her, but I never do anything to show that love, am I really at home in that love with her? No. Somehow, my life, the, my actions, need to demonstrate my at-homeness with that love that I express with her, and just as we do with Jesus. As he says, he's at home, intimately at home with the Father because he's listened to what the Father has said and has acted upon that. Again, Jesus in verse 11, I've told you these things, Jesus says, for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command, love one another the way I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because the servant doesn't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. Jesus calls us friend. Is there anyone in all of creation that we long to hear this more than him? Now, I love entertainment, history, sports, and all. In fact, I have even met my sports hero when I was in high school. Uh, This guy is well-respected even today, long after his accomplishments. And it has a lot to do with his character and, I believe, the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I love the sport of golf. And so my hero, my high school hero, and still the guy that I look up to as the goat of golf, so to speak, is Jack Nicklaus. He is that guy. But he doesn't compare in any way, shape, or form for me to want to hear, Jesus, call me friend. You see, Jesus is the master. Good. Some of you got that connection. That's good. 
Though his disciples, Jesus called him the one, the Messiah. You're the Holy One of God. Jesus spent three years with them. And by this time, he says, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know the master's business. No, I call you friend. Because everything the Father has made known to me, I have made known to you. He describes what that relationship looks like. Uh, Again, he's made everything the Father has made known to, to him and his friends. And he's made everything the Father has said made known to you and to me. The greatest thing he's called his friends to do and for you and I to practice is to love one another. John uses that phrase 16 times in this section. Love one another. The greatest thing that we can do is to love one another. So that begs the question, what does that even look like? How do we do that? What does Jesus say about what that might look like? This is my command, he says. Love one another the way I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things that I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because a servant doesn't know what the master is thinking and planning. No, I've called you friends because I've let you in on everything the Father has heard from, what uh, I've heard from the Father. So, first he says, love one another the way I have loved you. Loving the way Jesus starts with doing the things he's told us to do. Now, some would look back, historically, we know that that's what the Ten Commandments were supposed to be. We were supposed to love God. We were supposed to uh, not have any other, other idols. We were supposed to honor our fathers and mothers. Uh, we're not supposed to take things that aren't ours. Uh, we're supposed to just tell the truth. Those are simple things to do, but we haven't fulfilled those. And in fact, I think uh, this summer, uh, John is going to be introducing a new series on teaching through the Ten Commandments. Uh, We'll hear more about that in a week or two. But Jesus summarizes those commandments by simply saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we fulfill and love the way that he loves us, following his teachings. Secondly, Jesus demonstrated what grace looks like. He has given us insurmountable amount of grace, yes? I am so grateful for that because I'm still a work in progress. We haven't obtained where we need to get to. I so appreciated so many of the songs that we sang even this morning pointing to that direction. I'm grateful that God still loves us even though we don't measure up to the things of his standards. And so if he's done that with us, shouldn't we be doing that with each other? I mean, how many times you're driving down the road and there's this crazy person coming down the highway in and out of folks and we think, oh, what an idiot. Yes, that guy's going to cause an accident. As opposed to thinking, hmm, I wonder what's going on. Maybe there's something, an emergency they're trying to get to. Perhaps I'll move out of the way so they can get to where they need to get to. Or perhaps at the office. You've got some folks that are, are particularly ornery and uh, uptight with things and we think, hey, what a jerk. Instead of thinking, hmm, I wonder what's going on. Maybe there's something happening outside of work that's troubling them. Or maybe even at school. Somebody doing the same kind of things and thinking, maybe I can give them some grace in the process. Uh, If we can have received that, we certainly can give that grace to others. Third, 
He sacrifices his life so that we could know the Father. He says to, to us to put your life on the line for your friends. Now, we see all, uh, sometimes in the news these unique circumstances where somebody does something heroic for their friends. And I, I sometimes think in reflection of this, is this, shouldn't that be the norm instead of something that's unusual? To be putting our lives on the line for those who we call friends. And looking for opportunities to do so. Fourth, he says, I came not to be served, but to serve. And so shouldn't we be looking for ways to serve one another? Now, I am blessed to have a number of friends in my life uh, who have done this for me in simple ways and in huge ways. Uh, my small group is a lot of ways doing that, fulfilling that on a regular basis. I am very grateful for your friendship. And hopefully I'm doing some of that in our context as well. Fifthly, to spend his days teaching us about the Father so that we can teach others about the Father. This is what disciples making disciples looks like. That's what our mission statement is here. Uh, and trying to fulfill that and kind of unpack that and live into that as we live our days. Um, he's let us in on everything the Father has taught him. How incredible is that? Why wouldn't we take advantage of that and tell others as much as we possibly can? He no longer calls us servant, but he calls us friend. We are his friends if we make ourselves at home in him and his words are at home in us. Are Jesus' words at home in you this morning? Do they find welcome in your heart? That is my hope and that is his hope. If you haven't done so on your own, I want to encourage you to start reading scripture so that you know what that word says. Don't just rely on a Sunday sermon to do so. It needs to be something we engage in on a daily basis uh, and to be able to hear what he has to say, his encouragement, his instruction, and to experience his grace by reading through his words. Remember, John has written all that we have been talking about this year so far since January so that we might believe. Here is how Eugene Peterson uh, states this passage of John 20. He says, Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs that are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in acting of believing, in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. Now that last phrase really stood out to me. I like how Eugene says this because he puts it in the context of a relationship. How he personally reveals it to us. Jesus is making himself available to us. He's offering a friendship with each one of us. And he ends this little section of John 15 by saying this in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I, I chose you. To be, and, for you, and put you in this world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. Who of us does not like to be chosen, picking teams, or perhaps picking a life partner? Think back at those times where when you proposed and she said yes, or he said yes, or even in our friendships that people intentionally are being together. That feels awesome to be initiated to, 
Hey, will you come on over for dinner? Can I come over and help you with that project? There's somebody choosing us in that. That feels good. And Jesus is choosing you and me. And he put you in the world to bear fruit. Relationships according to God's plan. And his command is simple. Remember the root command, he says. Love one another. That fruit that we talk about is to be in relationship with each other. That's what God calls us to do. It's the people we get to be in relationship with is the beautiful expression of being disciples who are caring and loving for one another in every circumstance we might find ourselves. Will you let yourself be called by Jesus friend today? Will you allow your friends, the people in your life, to choose you and for you to choose them to do life together? Don't let another second go by without saying yes to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful on so many levels that you have given us this word. You have revealed everything that the Father has told you to each one of us, that we can know you, that you have said, I chose you, and you are waiting for us to respond, to say, yes, Jesus, I want to be in a relationship with you. You are the one in all of creation that we want to hear that you call us friend. Lord, help us in our lives to figure out how we might love one another the way you have loved each of us, by serving, by laying down our lives, by giving grace, and by continuing to know your word and sharing that with others. Help us to live into this the best way we possibly can. Thanks for your love, thanks for your grace, thanks for the opportunity we have to call one another friend. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.